to the world of horror and i'm your host andy and i know that i've been talking a lot about forgotten horror and this new series that i'm doing and today's episode is i have to say it's going to be a little bit different because the movie that i'm going to be talking about today is arguably not a forgotten horror movie it's quite loved by a lot of people so um and to give this movie justice i've got a special guest on uh you know it's, it's a familiar uh face or voice i should say it's dave what's up everybody what's up andy what's up dave not too much glad to have a uh, co-host on this episode it's going to make this a lot more fun to talk about and uh, to give us another perspective on what most think is probably a classic horror movie and uh, you know the movie i'm talking about is deep red it's dario argento's arguably best movie that he's made in my opinion I don't know, Dave. Wait, wait. Uh, I'm going to stop you. Did you say Deep Red? I did say Deep Red. Oh, no. I think I watched the wrong movie. Oh, you did? What movie did you watch? I watched The Hatchet Murders. Ooh, okay. Yeah, fun fact. Between that and Profondo Rosso. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the reason why they used uh, maybe two different... Yeah, that's interesting uh topic because i think maybe like the hatcher murders was attached to like a different version maybe like a i don't know if it was trimmed down or whatever but um it was just like a different version that maybe they put out for some reason but uh i also know that they tried they released this movie like in the early 80s to try to cash in on the 80 on the 80s slasher craze going on at that time so maybe that's why they called the hatchet murders um not sure yeah they they don't use a hatchet for every kill so it's interesting right right but i mean one of the things i mean that is one of the you make bring up a good point though about the kills i mean the kills are really well done in this movie they're just like each each murder scene is just set up really well and it's kind of an interesting fact or an interesting thing that i noticed that each murder scene is actually mirrored in an earlier scene of the movie I haven't, I haven't said it yet, but this, you know, we will have spoilers probably in this episode because we're just going to, this is our love letter to our, to, uh, the movie Deep Red, Profondo Rossi, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, so we're going to, we're just going to go head first into it and we're going to talk about everything we want to. So, so you've been warned, uh, you know, there's plenty of places to go see it. You can track it down on DVD or Blu-ray. Um, Arrow has a really cool Blu-ray that I just picked up, uh, has a lot of special features, and uh, this movie is also streaming on Pluto, I think. Was that what I told you, or is that... Yeah, yeah, you told me Pluto. And I do want to note, like, this movie, it pops in and out on Tubi. Like, just when you think it's not, you find it. And then just when you remember it was there, it's gone. So just keep an eye out. But Pluto is usually a good call. So going back to the murder scenes, 
So you have so there's one scene where they show a lizard with like a pin through its neck. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm okay? So and that pretty much precedes that professor guy that gets killed. Uh, you know that that scene with the it's probably one of the best known scenes of the movie. I feel like it's where the professor is at his home, and all of a sudden this like puppet just comes out of like the dark and it's like running towards him. That was like a really scene in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really creepy scene. Uh, And probably, and you you may or may not agree, but maybe inspiration for Jigsaw. I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes you feel like it, but that's crazy. Like, I should say out of the gate, I'm a huge Dario fan. I really like this movie a lot, and I've seen it a lot. And I never put two and two together. Like, as soon as you were like, the lizard with the needle through his neck, I'm like, what? And then you talked about Professor, and I'm like, holy crap. Like, I never even thought of that, bro. And then also, um, so the scene where the lady gets scalded in the bathtub, there's an earlier scene where Mark is is talking to Gianna on the telephone, and he's at that coffee shop, and he keeps getting burned by the steam behind him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's another one. And then... There, then at you know the very end scene or one of the ending scenes where Carlos, Carlo gets uh, dragged behind the truck and mm-hmm. uh, and he gets killed, getting run over. There's there's an earlier scene where I think it's David Hemming's character is in a car. They're going through the city streets and there's a truck that's overturned, mm-hmm. and it's being. T- I don't know if that's really. I, now that I think about it, like, that doesn't necessarily mirror the ending scene, but anyway, and then but definitely. So at the end, when you have the beheading with the with the chain, uh, on you know getting caught in the elevator. So in an earlier scene, there, uh, whenever David Hemmings, when Mark goes to that old abandoned house, they're pulling the chain off the front gate, and it's kind of the same motion. So that's kind of interesting. I didn't I didn't notice it until this second time. I was watching with the commentary, and the the guy that was doing the commentary was mentioning that. So I thought that was kind of a cool little fact. Um, or a little that, that just that they... goes to show, man. Like no matter how many times you've seen a movie, there's always something to look forward to. That's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah, and I, and I think that the writing for this movie is is really smart. I think it's just, yeah, it's just one of the the things that I love about this movie is, like you said, the more you watch it, the more things you notice. And uh, but I think I want to kind of me and you were kind of talking about like what's a Giallo movie earlier before we were recording and. And so I think this is probably a good place to talk about that. Um, this is probably one of, if not the most well-known Giallo movie out there, I would say. And, you know, when we say Giallo, we're talking about a specific kind of subgenre of horror. And uh, Dave, you, know, you, were, you were kind of filling me in on it earlier. You know, Giallo is transla- translated as yellow in Italian. And that comes from the fact that... Um, the these older like mystery magazines or books were they were cheap paperback books yeah and that's really what made them stand out is they had usually like some sort of traditional bright yellow covers yeah so that's where the name yellow comes from and i guess that these movies these like detective style murder mystery type movies are modeled after those uh stories in those novels and uh but the, I guess the thing, though, that makes these kind of movies stand out from like a normal murder mystery or detective story is you have uh, a lot of slasher elements that probably inspired yes. a lot of the slasher movies that we love from the 80s. 
Um, especially, you know, we're talking about um, inspiration. Um, I think that John Carpenter was definitely inspired by this movie. I think if you look at the camera work, I think you could say Dean Cundy was inspired by this movie. Uh, with a lot of the visuals that you get, like the motion of the camera and stuff, you have a lot of like uh, pans and scan, you know, where the camera's kind of moving around and following characters and stuff. I think it's really cool. But like with the, we're talking about that scene where the author gets murdered, like, you know, she gets her head, uh, she gets drowned in that scalding hot water. That's like straight Halloween 2 right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which John Carpenter did write. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he he paid homage to it, but without, like, completely ripping it off. Yeah, because nobody wrote on the mirror, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. That would have been kind of creepy if, if Michael Myers kind of, like, you know, wrote something <laughs> on <laughs> He writes Jallo on the mirror. Like, what? Yeah. Somebody um, doesn't like Jello. <laughs> Jello, yeah. <laughs> and you remember that band Green Jello from, like, the 90s? No, there's a band called Green Jello. Yeah, well, they had to change their name to Green Jelly because I think Jello, the company, sued them or something. Of course. But they had that song. It was Three Little Pigs. You remember that song? No, I'm going to have to was, look it up, though. It was like a, it was like a, I don't know if you consider it heavy metal, but it was like hard rock. And oh. it was in the 90s. So, but it, <laughs> it was kind of funny. But anyway, we're getting off topic. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, Giallo, not Jello. So talking about like our personal experiences with this movie, I know for me, um, I think the first time that I saw this was in the Mill Creek Chilling Classics collection that I got that kind of started off this whole series. Deep Red was actually in my box set. Um, so that's the first time that I actually saw this movie. You know, and I was like, ah, whatever. I, I think I, when I was younger, I didn't really appreciate Italian cinema like I do now, um, especially like 70s horror. I love it. Uh, but Dave, what was your first, when was the first time you saw this movie? It had to have been, let's see, this is 2022, man, anywhere from 10 to 13 years ago, somewhere in between. I don't remember how I stumbled upon Dario Gento. Like, I want to place the blame on Masters of Horror is what introduced me to Dario Gento, you know, because he did Jennifer and Pelts. But somehow I really got fixated with Dario Argento and I like I dove heavy into his library. And I'd like to say I've seen at least 80 percent of what he's done. Uh, I used to just buy all of the DVDs online. There was a lot of, like Blue Underground, I think, was the name of the DVD publisher that put all of them out. But I became pretty infatuated with the Jallo film, something about uh, the POV and all you see is the killer's hands and the gloves and the murder weapon, you know, like being the perspective of the killer doesn't mean I'm a killer, but I like the perspective. And then the way that it has, like you said, you, you mentioned Dean Cundy, it's very stylized, like the camera, it has to work. Like you have to feel like you're in the moment for it to work. And that just really captivated me because this was before found footage really became as big as it is now, but it's still different. But uh, yeah, man, I, I saw Deep Red just because I knew it was a Dario movie, so I bought it without watching it, and I was not disappointed at all. I've seen this movie many times. I've probably seen all the versions, uh, and you can tell which version you watch just by how long it is, right? Uh, the 
the longest one's about 30 minutes longer because it has all the additional footage and like all the death scenes aren't edited and everything. It's definitely the way to go. But uh, yeah, man, I, I remember loving Dario Gento and loving this movie. And that's it was very easy for you to rope me in on this episode. You're like, hey, I want to talk deep red. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about Dario Gento, I think. I've, it's kind of a blind spot for me, honestly. Well, just Italian Italian horror in general is I haven't seen a lot. I've seen kind of the big ones. You know, you've got Suspiria, Deep Red, you got Zombie. Yeah, so I've seen those, but I think I, I haven't really seen... Well, I guess I've seen a few of Dario Argento's movies. I've seen Phenomena. I've seen Suspiria. This Have one. you seen The Bird with the Crystal Plumage? You know, I'm not sure... I'm not sure if I've seen that one or not. What about opera? I've never seen opera. Okay. Just just gauge you need to see, you know. Yeah. They have so to bring need... you on my show to talk about something, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I know I've seen uh, The Cat of Nine Tills. I've seen that one. Okay. Yeah, that was like his second movie. Yeah, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Italian. No. <laughs> yeah. But I know that, so speaking of those movies, like The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, The Cat of Nine Tails, and there was one more. Uh, do you know what it is? Uh, I should. I should have wrote something like that down. But are you talking about, like, the way he did, like, animals in his titles? Yeah, so he had, like, that. He did, animal... like, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, I think, is what it was. That's it. It was, like, the Animal Trilogy. That's what he called it. That one's really good, too. Four Flies okay. on Grey Velvet. Yeah, and so he he did those three, and then he kind of got away from the giallo for a little bit, but then like he got he got kind of frustrated with with movie making or with script writing because he started out as a writer, and having other people direct the movies, but he was writing the screenplay, but then they would kind of change up things when when they're actually doing making the movie, and Dario got really frustrated with that, and so that's when he got into the directing seat because. He's like, okay, I can write it, and I can direct it. Nobody can mess with it. It's my, because he had a very right. specific vision. You know, you can tell with his movies. It's he just has that. He's a visionary director, and so he didn't want anybody messing with his with his work. You you call them the Giallo years. It's kind of like from 1970 to 1975. That's kind of when most of your Giallo movies came out, or when you kind of had the height of the Giallo movies. Yeah, and you can tell his passion too, because he even plays the killer in, all, in most of his movies. Like anytime you see the the gloves, it's his hands, and that's how yeah. you know you want something <laughs> done right. You do it yourself. Yeah, and you mentioned the POV camera mm-hmm. shots and stuff in these Giallo movies, and I think you know that definitely inspired Halloween. I could see that. Oh, of course, hands down. So much, even so much as. Not not this movie per se, but like Suspiria, like the lighting used in Suspiria reflects in Halloween, where in Suspiria there's a lot of red, and Halloween there's a lot of blue, you know? And um, it really works for both films, but for this film, uh, I like how a lot of it can take place in the daylight, and then on the other half, you have, it's like midnight, and you're inside creepy mansions. I'm like, what's better than that? Yeah, there's, I mean, there was, uh, this movie just had a lot of different set pieces, which is really cool. You had the you know the different apartments each person had their own apartment then you had the the old abandoned house you had uh, just the city itself was speaking about speaking of that there was like there was these scenes where mark and his friend carlo were talking in the city streets and there was this bar behind them that was in the shot the interesting thing about 
the blue bars what it was called was it was actually just a set built on the sidewalk of the city of the street there and it wasn't really an, a real bar which i thought was interesting and so i guess uh, they filmed this in the city of turin italy and uh, the city officials they asked if they could keep the set there for a while because it actually attracted like tourists and stuff and so they actually had of it course. set up as a real bar for a while so that was kind of cool and I don't know if they said it or not, but I think didn't they hint to it that that's where Carlo worked? He yeah. worked at that bar. Okay. Thought I just know he was drinking all the time. <laughs> he was the pianist at that bar. He was just like a you know, a bar piano player there and he would probably get free drinks, that's probably why he was always drunk. But I think it, it yeah, speaking to his character, you know, we kinda know how it plays out. But uh it's kinda interesting how Dario Argento, he kind of had a lot, has a lot of like social commentary in this movie, and he also kind of has some political commentary too, which um, was kind of background, kind of like yeah, it's cool, whatever. But um, I thought it was kind of smart him to kind of talk about some of that stuff because probably back in the seventies it was a little, a little bit more risque, I guess. Oh yeah, there's quite a few things in this movie that would have raised eyebrows in the seventies. Uh, but, you know, all the characters, I feel like, had some depth to them, especially Carlo and, you know, his mother. And, you know, they, they had they had pretty convincing, you know, like reasons for doing what they did, you know. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like the characters were fleshed out really well. I really liked like I wasn't sure, you know, how I feel about the main character, because um, you know, if your main character doesn't work, your movie almost doesn't work. You know what I mean? And we spent so much time with Marcus, but uh, I definitely came around to liking him. It just always was so funny. Something Dario does. It's like the police are like rarely involved. Not until you get to like the card player uh, when his 2000 stuff. But like it's always some random person with some random occupation is going to solve a murder. And I'm like, what are they doing? But they just always happen to be the witness. And the cops are like never involved. And so I'm like, well, I can hope. I hope I, I you know, I like Marcus. I mean, I like pianos. Right. So let's do it. But um, his relationship with Gianna. Uh, I think really works in this like she's a reporter and even though she puts him on blast like on the front page of the newspaper like oh he's the only witness like why would you do that but their um, their dynamic works really well yeah for sure that's the one of the things that I noted too while I was watching this movie that they, they play off each other really well and in the, the full version um, you actually see that they kind of have more of a romantic thing going on which I didn't realize because I watched the version on Pluto and it didn't really play out that way, I think. And then when I watched the full version on my Arrow Blu-ray, they kind of they included those scenes back in there, where you get to see more of the, like they kiss. There's like one scene where they actually kiss, and um, so I thought that thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Do you they, know if the um, Pluto version? has the whole scene where they're doing like the arm wrestling and talking about like the the women's lib and all that stuff or was that in the other version where they include all the extra scenes yeah so that version was in the pluto version i i didn't yeah but yeah so it was interesting like in in the the i guess i don't know if it's the edited version or whatever's on pluto um yeah they have the arm wrestling scene and they have more of like this it's more of a playful or kind of like a friendship type thing it doesn't really they don't really like show like it's that is really romantic it's just kind of like they're working together to solve this mystery and there's kind of some uh you know she kind of gives them shit about you know whatever you know know, feminism and stuff like that being being the macho man and stuff like that 
Um, well, he deserved it. <laughs> he was oh, just yeah. like, you can't do it. You're a woman. I'm like, ooh. Hey, you know, I can't say anything. I've lost in an arm wrestling match to a woman, so. <laughs> I thought you weren't going to tell us about that time your wife arm wrestled you down, man. <laughs> well, I know. You know something that stood out to me? What's that? Uh, so you have the best friend, Carlo, who just is like an off-the-wall drunk in this, but he's a really good friend to Marcus in there. We get to uh, meet Carlo's lover. I'm doing air quotes because we don't know, but I think and we meet Carlo's lover as a transgender male, and I thought that was very risque for the time period. I was like, whoa, look at this. And It's something that you wouldn't see a lot in movies. Right. It wasn't commonly displayed, and I think they did it for two reasons. One, because Dario's like, I do what I want. But two, I also thought it was a really cool like red herring because we see clips of the killer wearing mascara, but we don't see the killer. And I'm like, oh, great, another suspect. That's true. You know, I didn't even think about that. But they do show those scenes of the killer putting on a mascara. And, oh. and like, for me, that that kind of pointed towards Gianna because she ha- kind of has the mascara, too, the eyeliner. And there was scenes where Gianna's like, wrong place, wrong time, too. That totally makes you go, I wonder if it's going to be her. Not to mention, like, her and Marcus are discussing everything in detail. And so it's like, is he telling the killer his next move every time? Yeah, for sure. Um, It did seem to me that there was some kind of weird connection between the killer and Marcus. Because it seemed like there was a lot of scenes where the killer was stalking marcus it seemed like to me there was like some shots where the camera was kind of watching marcus from a distance like at the library when he was going through that book there was like the camera was like kind of back in the darkness and you cut you kind of see marcus like he was like ripping out the book or ripping out the page in the book and then like getting up and walking away from the table and it, it wasn't like really super explicit like this is the killer watching him but i just felt like maybe it was because the camera was kind of back I think that was the intent. I, I think we probably we didn't know what to think, but uh, yeah, don't steal from your library. That's what happens. <laughs> Return that book. <laughs> oh, and that that scene at the beginning, or the not at the beginning, but the scene where the killer first comes to Mark's apartment. I thought that was a really good scene because he's playing his piano, and he hears that that creepy children's song start mm-hmm. playing. And at first, he doesn't quite know what's going on. He just kind of plays off like whatever. But then, uh, you know, you see somebody walking on the roof, and then they they come into his apartment somehow. But uh, well, yeah, see, they're walking across the roof, and you see that sheetrock, like that debris comes trickling down. Yeah, that just seems, man, that that construction just seems really kind of flaky. It's like you're just walking on the roof, and you got drywall falling off. <laughs> Bro, it matched the rest of that background. Like, that that place they filmed looked pretty run down. Yeah. But I love how he was, he, he could tell, you knew the moment that he knew that somebody was in his apartment, but he was still playing the piano, trying to make them think that he wasn't aware. And then the phone rings, and then he runs, and he slams the door and locks it. And as he's, t- it was John on the phone. Uh, and then as he's talking to her, you hear that voice on the other side of the door saying, you know, you're safe for now. And it was really menacing. It was, it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, so many movies like Scream just take so many nods to classic movies. Like we talked about uh, Prom Night back in the day. But Prom Night and then all these Jalo movies, man, just really do it right. <laughs> I got a question for you. 
Yeah. What What did you think of Carlo's mama? She was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. She She was the actress did a really really good job of just seeing kind of seeming unhinged the whole time. Even in the earlier scenes when we first meet her, you know, she just seems really kind of. Uh, she seems kind of like uh, I don't know what the word is. Not quite all She's there. Cuckoo. Yeah. Cuckoo, yeah. But I guess yeah, I I met her once, bro. I told her I said I'm a podcaster, and then she goes, "You're an engineer." I was like, "No, I'm a podcaster." She goes, "You engineer and your podcast?" I was like, "Wow." <laughs> yeah. That's a joke, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, but but they did a good job of of making her seem harmless. You know, like I didn't really suspect her necessarily, but I guess that was another thing that kind of broke. Uh, gender roles, I guess, is having a female killer. You know, how many times did that happen? You know, back then it was. I mean, I guess it probably happened, but especially being like in seventy-five, it, it didn't happen a lot. You're right. I mean, this was pretty groundbreaking. But like you said earlier in the podcast, they did a really good job of making it all make sense. So I like that aspect of it, and I thought it was interesting that they showed those scenes of uh, like the little dolls and stuff. Like the camera oh, yeah. kind of pan through all these little uh, dolls and like a knife, and it was almost like you're getting a, a a shot of like inside the killer's mind or something. I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. I think it works for the movie. It's really cool. Um, you don't want to say flashbacks, but they're segue clips. And it could definitely represent the killer's mind. Uh, or it could be also one of those like right in your face clues that you don't catch until the end. Yeah. So on the commentary, the guy was saying that uh, in, in Argento's earlier movies, he tries to have a rational explanation for everything that happens. But in this movie, he kind of starts to kind of bring in those supernatural elements, you know, because at the beginning you have the psychic and uh, she's able to kind of read the killer's mind. And and also you have this uh, the, the killer seems to have this weird connection with Marcus that I mentioned earlier. And but so so he's kind of bringing in these supernatural elements. And then, you know, in, in movies like Suspiria, you know, he goes like full on, you know, uh, with witchcraft, witchcraft. Yeah. And stuff like that. So. So that's kind of interesting to kind of see this as kind of a transition, uh, I don't know, transition piece for him where he's kind of branching off into more of the supernatural stuff, which is kind of cool. Did they say anything around the creepy ass, like motorized doll sequence? Because that definitely comes out of left field. And we've already mentioned is the scariest part of this movie. Yeah, they didn't really mention too much about that, um, which I'm surprised. I was watching it with Julie, her first watch, and I thought this the scene where it comes running at you, I thought that was in Four Flies and Gray Velvet. I forgot. And as soon as we were in there and it showed the one angle, I was like, oh, shit, it's about to happen. And then the doll comes running at you, and then she, like, I don't want to say she screamed, but she was appalled by it, as was I because I wasn't expecting it. And I remember thinking to myself, she kind of looked at me, and I was like, they probably just found that and then like put it in post production because like there's no reference to it anywhere else in the movie. But it would have been cool if we would have seen like that doll like with the the child or something in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that is one thing. I, it, it, the dolls just kind of came out of nowhere, so I wish they would have. Yeah, like you said, I wish they would have referenced to some other point in the movie because that's like the only scene that it's in and it's never like ref- it's never talked about again or. Um, the only explanation would be is if it wasn't the killers, and then you're like, why the hell does that professor have that doll? <laughs> like, what's that doing <laughs> at his house, dude? <laughs> so, yeah. 
it's just crazy. But that scene with the professor is pretty intense, especially if uh, people getting hit in the mouth uh, bugs you. Yeah, yeah, and they and they set up the scenes like you, you know we talked about it, the hatchet murders, but they don't actually kill a lot of the people with hatchets. They kind of set up a lot of the murders as like more like realistic things or or things that people could kind of relate to more, I guess. They, uh, you know, because I guess people can relate to like maybe falling and bumping your mouth and mm. maybe, yeah something or. <laughs> How many people have fallen and hit the corner of the table? Yep. Oh uh, yeah, that that's gotta be horrible. <laughs> that's why I don't have a coffee table. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. You know, a lot of times in this movie, we're kind of taking. You know, we talk about a lot of POV shots and and we like how Argento plays with perspective. And I think that we're kind of placed in the main character's perspective a lot of times with like his mindset because, like in the in the beginning of the movie, like when he gets to that crime scene where the psychic was murdered. He sees the killer, and so do we, but we don't realize it. And he does, and he's trying to remember. He doesn't realize it either, until like at the end of the movie, you find out that it was a mirror, and uh, you know Carla's mother was standing in the mirror, and so we see, like we see her, as you know, but we don't realize it. I think that's kind of a cool thing. It's another reason why her makeup works in the movie, because the whole time she's like pasty white. Like like old, but just weird, right? Almost like a ghost. And then it makes sense at the end when you see, when you realize it's her reflection in the mirror is because it's surrounded by, uh, like, it's the psychic's apartment. So she's got a lot of weird stuff on the walls, including pictures of ghosts. And so she perfectly blends in to make you think. So if you've never seen this movie, which I hope you have if you're listening to this, right? If not, please stop. Uh, watch the movie. But if, if you've you know, never seen it, you literally don't realize that's a mirror at all. It just looks like a creepy-ass head. Yeah, I mean, I know the first time that I watched it, I didn't even, like, look of course. at that. And then, of course, you know, later times I've watched it, I've, I've like, okay, I'm going to look, look and see if I can see her, you know. And... Clear as day, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, so... Um, we talked about it earlier, but the scene where the lady, the author, gets drowned in the bathtub with the scalding water. Apparently, I don't know if she wasn't ready for to be dunked in the water or what, but she was actually choking and and she couldn't breathe during that scene. And so, but Argento liked it so much that he kept the take, and that's what's in the yeah. movie. Yeah, that's called method acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I mean. I guess I guess you know you can't blame Argento, you know, for for one, you know, if it's a good take and it looks real. I mean, I guess you know, oh. you know that the woman really wasn't hurt. You know, she probably got over it. She was probably pissed, you know, after the the shot was done. But you know, just add um, an extra zero on that paycheck. Yeah, but yeah, this is definitely. I think when I when I think of the movies, the Argento movies that I've seen, this one is definitely my favorite. Uh, probably followed by Phenomena as a close second, I think. What are you, are you trying to weasel out my favorites? <laughs> I'm just curious. What What's your uh, favorite Argento movie? So, um, my favorite Argento movie is actually Tenebrae from Ooh. 1982, I think. Okay, I've I don't think I've seen that one yet. So it's basically about. It, it follows in path with like all these other movies, uh, but this one is about an American writer in Rome who is stalked and harassed by a serial killer 
who is murdering everyone associated with the work of his latest book. So it's kind of like a mirror image of what he's writing in his books. Things are happening in real life to people he knows. And uh, it's got amazing death scenes, very vibrant. I love Jalo movies because they use like that paint red blood, you know, like it doesn't look real, but it does look awesome. And uh, with me like relating to being a writer. So that kind of puts a new perspective on it. And it's got John Saxton in it, which is always cool to see John Saxton pop up in a movie. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's one that I saw it pretty early on. And then after that, I was comparing like every Dario movie to it. And I'm not saying any movie is made better, but in the idea of personal preference, Tenebrae is my favorite. Cool. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, so I mentioned the the Arrow Blu-ray. It's really cool. Uh, it's got a lot of special features on it. And uh, it, it's got the original Italian trailer on it. And I watched it. I think it, that thing is so cool. Like, it's... It starts out just the different shots they use in the movie, and it just—I just can imagine being like an audience member back in you know back in the day, watching that trailer and just being like, "What the hell is this movie?" Like, it you know it just makes you really it make you know they did a good job with the trailer, um, you know because it's like because people know who Argento was you know with his first few movies, and he kind of took he kind of took a detour out of the horror realm for a little while. For a few years but then he came back so this this was kind of like his big comeback into the into the horror genre and so that trailer really plays that up like a new movie from dario argento and it's and like it's he's back into horror you know and stuff and it's just it's really cool so if you guys haven't seen that I, you know it's probably on youtube i'm sure but um it's, it's a cool trailer it's, yeah, i wish they made trailers like that nowadays <laughs> man i feel like we say that every day right yeah but uh, yeah. So you got anything else you want to add for Deep Red? Yeah, I uh, I also really like how a lot of Dario's movies features someone going through the window, right? Like smashing their head into the plain glass. That's always a, a trait of Dario's. And in this scene, when Helga gets murdered uh, up in her apartment, and that's the first time we see like the meat cleaver uh, or hatchet, however you want to call it. Uh, it's just brutal. And uh, yeah. More people should go through glass windows. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, the earlier scene where Helga is in the the, the psychic conference, whatever they're the the presentation they're doing, and she drinks the water, but she spits it out. That's another scene that's mirrored at the very end. Whenever uh, Carlo's mom is getting beheaded, she like throws up. Whatever. It's really oh. gross. But the, those scenes are wow. kind of mirrored together too. It's almost so. like she knew it was going to happen. Yeah. It's like you. Yeah, like I said, uh, this movie, um, it's streaming on Pluto, and like you said, it's it's probably on Tubi every other month or something, or it comes off and goes on. And but uh, yeah, the and Arrow has a really cool Blu-ray of this movie, so um, so there's lots of ways to watch this movie, lots of uh, versions. I don't know. I guess yeah, the Hatchet Murders. It's that's like another name for it. It's it's actually on another. DVD set that I have and it's called the Hatchet Murders in that set. So I don't know if it's just like somebody, some company got the rights to release it, but they didn't want to call it Deep Red for some reason. But uh, it seems to be on a lot of these like budget collections, like box set, like from Mill Creek and stuff like that. It's on a lot of these kind of sets. 
and uh not sure why but it's it's definitely like it doesn't quite fit in with a lot of those movies on the sets because a lot of those movies are kind of z-grade they're kind of like not great movies but this is like actually a really good movie that doesn't necessarily deserve to be lumped in with all those movies i think yeah, I completely agree. It, when you told me it was on there, I was like, what? Because like, I paid like 15 for the DVD, you know? But uh, it's a great movie, but I also feel the same way about how like uh, Night of the Living Dead gets lumped in a lot of those box sets, and it's a terrific movie. So it must come down to they got the rights for cheap, you know? Yeah, yeah, it must be some kind of rights thing. But I noticed on later versions of the Chilling, Bo- Chilling Classics box set that I have, it doesn't have Deep Red on it. So... I think I got like what like the first release of that box set, so I got a lot of movies that weren't on later releases of that, like Bad Taste and Deep Red weren't on like the later versions of that box set. So, um, so I guess I looked down and I got it early enough where I uh, got those movies on there. But yeah, never get rid of your box sets. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so anyway well dave i want to thank you for hopping on here and joining me for this episode it's really i really had a fun time and uh just it's a great movie to talk about especially with a with a good friend that's also into horror oh yeah thanks for having me man and uh like i i made sure it happened like i rushed home from work i really wanted to do this podcast with you i love this movie i love podcasting with you it's a lot of fun uh so if listeners did enjoy it um come check out my podcast i do another one called uh, the all things dave podcast and andy's been featured on there once so far and he'll be on there again soon uh, and probably multiple times after that because we once we start talking horror we don't stop and it's always a good time uh, he's the yin to my yang when we talk horror movies and it's just a really good time and so it may be dari gento it may be something else but uh yeah all things dave podcast and then uh follow your buddy andy you'll you'll find him over there too yeah, sure. It's a great podcast. I always have fun listening to every episode. Thanks for checking out this episode and stay tuned for the next Forgotten Horror. And you're listening to the World of Horror.